This is the Cape Drive Time. Welcome back to the show. 0829-913-913 is uh, the uh, WhatsApp line. Uh, there's been a draft amendment for uh, public schools uh, admissions and uh, vaccine requirements. Uh, we can't comment on that right now, but we'll see what our reporters and producers can do. Yeah, the budget was delivered earlier today and the minister said we owe a lot of people a lot of money and I've personally entitled the budget throwing hope to the wind. But where are these winds going to blow? Online is Professor Yanni Rousseau from the Witz Business School. Professor Rousseau, welcome. Good afternoon, Shafiq, and good afternoon to the listeners. What is your sweeping impression first off the bat on uh, this year's budget speech, obviously a very hard one to deliver, very difficult, trying to balance a number of issues. Uh, your assessment? Well, in short, this budget can only work out if the government is successful in containing the public sector wage bowl, according to the figures over the medium term. If that part of the budget does not hold, the whole budget will fall apart. That's the bottom line. Now, that's a rather shaky pillar, isn't it? Because the public sector um, is not going to be very responsive to that. The, pub, the, the trade unions are already screaming from the rooftops, shouting strike, wanting to go to court. But I think we need to kind of um, sober things up a little bit by making the observation that those of us um, who are, are contracted, those of us who work in the private sector, those of us who sell things, um, who are entrepreneurs, own shops, etc., have really taken a hammering. We lost our jobs, we lost our money, we lost our houses because of COVID. I don't know anybody in the public sector who lost anything from COVID. So surely the time is now for them to make the sacrifices that we did. Indeed. Uh, the problem with the private sector wage bill is since 2008 has grown well above the nominal growth rate in uh, the economy. So it outgrew inflation and real GDP growth. And as a result of this, the burden has just simply become too big. It is unsustainable. And as you've just said, private sector across the board make huge sacrifices. As you've said, those of us who kept our jobs got no increases this year. So why should public servants be a special class of citizen of South Africa? Indeed, and we just joined online also by Dr. Paul Kariuki, Executive Director, Democracy Development Program at the University of KwaZulu-Natal. Dr. Kariuki, Professor Rousseau, was just talking about the fact that he feels that the budget um, is... Uh, hinges on or the big pillar of it is a reduction in the public sector wage bill if that doesn't happen we're in trouble what do you make of it thank you shafiq for having me on the show and good afternoon to all your listeners um i don't think that is actually the answer to the challenges that we are facing my my honest view at this point in time of the budget and i'm sure things uh, we're still going to unpack this a little bit more in the coming days I think we still have uh, missed big talking points that could have gone a long way to ease the anxiety that is among us as a public as far as um, 
restoring confidence and trust that they know what they're doing as government to really uh, restore the economy back to its ways. So I think going after public servants uh, and reducing that wage bill is just a small part of a huge uh, reform that we expect to see as a public. And yes, we acknowledge that the public wage has gone to higher levels that is almost unsustainable. But that's not the only thing that should have happened to restore confidence in us as a public that there is seriousness to really restore the economy to winning ways. So in my view, um, that was still another pipe dream um, that has not been thought through properly. Professor Rousseau, I'm, I'm going to get back to you on, on something that I picked up, and obviously we're going to jump around quite a bit. Uh, this wasn't a big part of the budget, but it spoke about cross-border policing and the fact that uh, the government has managed to recover 2.5 billion rand by just policing our borders. Um, surely that tells us if we do our jobs properly, uh, or, f- or, f- or certain people do their jobs properly, we should be able to get back a fair amount of money that's been siphoned away because of corruption. Yes, indeed. If we can have proper policing, uh, likewise, if we can have proper control and not have any um, any uh, state capture or wasteful expenditure, it would put the economy on the road to recovery. I must just add that I didn't make the point that only containing the wage bill will put the economy back to recovery. That is one of the pillars. Another pillar is the fact that government debt as percentage of GDP will peak at just under 90%, which is a positive development. Uh, Projections we did very recently showed that it would go over 100%. Another very positive aspect is that the deficit before borrowing will decline from 14% of GDP this year to 6.3% in the 2024-25 fiscal year. So there are various pillars in this budget that are important. But to make these other pillars work, the restraint on the wage bill is of big importance. Dr. Karayuki, what do you make of the fact there was talk of a new SARS unit? Thankfully, it uh, doesn't look like it's going to be a rogue unit in trying to chase up more tax from people who appear to dodge taxes by just making things complicated? Well, I think that's a welcome move, uh, given the levels of tax evasion and tax avoidance that we've been seeing, and of course, uh, increased amount of illicit uh, flows uh, out of our shores. I think that's a welcome move. Uh, what would like also to, I would have loved personally to hear, is the 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 move towards digitization in terms of collecting and tracing, collecting data and analyzing the data so that it can show up the you know uh, loopholes that have been taken advantage of, because I think the 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 process of recovering any information has been a little bit slower because SARS hasn't moved into the digital space as it should have been in keeping in par with same country um, uh, with the same similar GDP levels like South Africa. So I think the, the, that's a call in the right direction, but I think it needs to be tracked uh, up a little bit faster using digital means. Professor Rousseau, we saw certain interesting measures. Um, Perhaps it was juggling by the finance minister. He lowered corporate tax. He said that um, personal tax brackets would go up by 5%, which does offer just a smidgen 
of relief. And something else that wasn't spoken about much, but to me it seems significant, um, offering uh, um, tax inducives for uh, people contributing to pension funds. This seems to me to be um, long-term planning because if more people were invested in pension funds, less state money uh, for SAS, for, to be used for SASA payouts. And there's positive development to the extent that people can afford to make provision for retirement. They should make provision for the retirement. And as it is, the government has a very generous dispensation for retirement provision. For instance, uh, tax-deductible contributions to pension funds as it is. So any attempts to get more people to provide for retirement, and then I must underline those who can, must be viewed as a positive development. And Dr. Karyuke, I mean, the debt is, is still serious, although it doesn't seem to be as dire as it was in the beginning. I mean, for the next three years, government has to spend 20 cents out of every rand um, for in, just interest on, on debt. And obviously, a lot of this burden is going to be on the taxpayer. This really is a massive headache, but I'm sure to try and sort of make it sound less uh, serious if it's possible, most countries in the world, I think, are probably right in, in that position now because of uh, the ravages of COVID and uh, a recession. I agree. Um, it, is, it is concerning that our debt accumulation has continued to grow, and it will continue to grow even into the next financial year, as the minister said. Um, uh, and therefore, I didn't hear as much as I would have loved to hear what are the mechanisms to put in place to control those and, um, uh, levels of debt in a way that it will restrain, especially, unnecessary expenditure. Remember, we have a context here, apart from COVID-19. COVID-19 just exposed the weaknesses in the systems as far as financial resources used in public sector is concerned. But before COVID, we had situations already uh, that had been brought up, for example, by the late Auditor General. You know, in terms of fruitful and fruitful uh, usage of resources, expenditure that cannot be accounted for, uh, you know, of course, complicated by other forms of corruption within um, uh, the public sector itself. So that that debt level has been left to grow unabatedly with very little um, interest in controlling it. There has been a lot of tolerance to make it happen just for uh, unnecessary things that do not add value to the public welfare. So in my case, in my thinking right now, while it seems to be a good call to say that, uh, uh, you know, there will be a lot of uh, uh, measures to be put in place to control uh, resource inefficiency within the public system, I don't think it goes so far to tell us exactly how. And perhaps maybe the details are, 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 are in, in documents that will come forth from the Treasury, National Treasury in the coming days about, you know, expanded versions of the budget. But judging from what we just heard from the minister, I didn't hear any serious mechanisms in place to control the debt. But what I heard is what it will mean for me and you and others as ordinary citizens. Pay more from our own little uh, incomes so that we can be able to foot the bill. And that, for me, doesn't sound very uh, inspiring from that point of view. And therefore, I, have, I think that there is, a, uh, there is still not enough uh, control measures to really reduce debt from, uh, uh, from government's point of view. We might hear the same rhetoric in the coming months 
and we're going to come up to another budget speech with the same things we've had in before because also there is no sincere desire from my point of view to generate sufficient revenue to really cover this apart from raising taxes that are already hitting ordinary citizens the lowest in their pockets uh it was interesting to hear that for example that uh you can reduce we, we can make it favorable for corporates by reducing their taxes but i mean by, by giving them a bit of relief and then uh on the other hand uh we're hearing increase of fuel taxes mm-hmm. so so which one hits the the ordinary person most and that's why my problem is so when you think about that you you cannot just think it as one element you have to think about the multiple elements that are around that debt and the burden who carries the burden and in this case unfortunately is the ordinary citizen no, absolutely. We get hit from all sides. And uh, Professor yeah. Rousseau, I'm sure you'll agree with us on the issue of SOEs. South African Airways, uh, more billions into that deep, dark hole, more money into the ESCOM pit, and the land bank now popping up with problems, and government just bailing them out time and time again, much to the annoyance of South African citizens. Yeah, uh, it's time that I have to pay tax. My only thought is I hope my money does not go to SA. Of course, <laughs> once flat has been collected, money is fungible. You can't really say what went where. Point is, I've said six years ago, give SAA away, it will not fly. SAA is nothing but the vanity project of uh, the ANC government. ANC MPs have told me that they feel proud boarding SAA planes on international airports. I've said to them before, park the planes, they wash them. Get on them, get off them. It's cheaper than to try and fly them. So unfortunately, <laughs> this is one big black hole. The government should rid itself of SOEs like uh, SOEs like SAA, Danel, Alex Core, etc. These things are not mission critical to South Africa's economic success. No, absolutely. And Dr. Karayuki, not much was mentioned, but it was mentioned. The big question of, of land redistribution, what I got out of the, of the budget was it seems as if a lot of the focus is going to be on agricultural and, and, and rural areas. Um, what do you take away from that? I mean, amounts of monies were mentioned, and I have no idea whether it's enough or whether it's too little for um, uh, any impact in terms of land redistribution. I'm afraid that's that's actually what I'm trying to say by saying that there are perhaps the additional details that will make this more clearer to all of us will be provided in the coming days. But on paper, it sounds good. But remember, it's not the first time we are hearing about rural development. In fact, there is even a whole department that focuses on that. But if you think about what has happened in that place, that in that department, in in terms of enabling inclusive, sustainable, rural development economy, that hasn't been said and has not been seen over the years. So I wonder what would be so different this time around. That's number one concern. The second concern is about, okay, so how would that money be spent? Remember the context again. We've got to keep the context in mind. Mm. Rural areas are severely underdeveloped, majority of them, yeah? Yes. So what infrastructure is existing there to support uh, speedy uh, economic growth that will reach everybody, including those who have been left from you know economic margins for decades, and that's why the problem is because this context that we're talking about, also the same context that are uh, um, 
you know, in bad, dire states because of massive corruption. Those are places where we rarely see anything going on because they're rarely in public's eye. They only come into public eye when you hear something atrocious has happened there as far as corruption is concerned. So are we going to fix, first of all, those issues that continue to keep those places the way they are now first before investing in them? Because otherwise, like Professor is saying, we are going to, again, to put more money into a black hole. Yeah. Hmm. So my view is that the intention is good. And this is the challenge we have with this kind of, you know, statements. The intention comes so close to soothe your heart that there is a plan in place. But the actions speak something else. And sometimes the statements do not take into consideration the context of to which um, that kind of investment needs to occur. It would have been better to hear the minister say, while we recognize that we need to improve rural economy so that the development in that site sustains the populations and kind of mitigate the rural-urban migration, for example, that continues to exert pressure on urban areas, these are the measures we're going to do. Okay, we're going to fix municipalities that belong into those rural areas that are not functional. Two, we're going to create opportunities for local businesses in those areas, including uh, emerging farmers, to be supported in a way that they can be able to do their farming sustainably. Give us some idea of what that money will do. But when we left to just with big numbers and talking in such almost vague terms, it leaves a lot to be desired. And knowing the trajectory so far we've had over the last decade, that is money that can be up for grabs for anyone. I'm sorry to be optimistic, uh, pessimistic. No, no, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, if money's not accounted for, it doesn't get accounted for. Uh, yeah. Professor Rousseau, um, would you agree that in South Africa we talk such a good game but when we kick the ball, we miss it. Indeed, Shafiq, uh, if we have plans, we probably have the most in the world. When it comes to implementation, it really lacks. Our main problem is a lack of implementation. Shafiq, my apology, I have to leave now for my uh, uh, interview at 5.30. No problem, so, Professor Rousseau. Um, uh, thank, thank you for, you for, for, for staying with us for so long. This afternoon. Not thank a problem. You. And Professor Rousseau, busy man, rushes off to another interview. Dr. Paul Kariuki joined us from another interview. Busy, busy, busy. Dr. Kariuki, just to close it all off, um, mm-hmm. what, what is your biggest takeaway from this budget? Anything that can be good news for the South African voter and consumer? Well, I'll try to find one. Okay, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 let's say, uh, uh, or it was a, one part of, uh, has hope, one part of the budget has hope. If you think about the uh, immediate relief on social grants uh, and also the fact that there is um, um, also a possibility that they're going to reduce the public wage. Uh, of course, that's another uh, prepared fight with the public service uh, unions around that because I don't think they will take that very kindly. But there is there is some hope to reduce that bill because that bill has become also unsustainable. There was also the mention of free sanitary towels for learners from low-income households. Uh, I think that is positive. Uh, we saw money being allocated for vaccines, to buy more vaccines. And we also saw a contingency budget for that. I think that's hopeful. 
but there's still some red, serious red flags. Uh, uh, one is um, I didn't hear enough to do with, you know, uh, alleviating the economic pressure on the ordinary citizen because of increased uh, indirect taxes. Yeah, um, this bill of the debt has to be footed by someone, and that someone is ordinary citizen. So I would have expected, for example, to hear there will be reduction in the VAT, for example, from 15% to perhaps 14%. And also there is a bit of relief, because the indirect tax that goes with, for example, increase in fuel levy, ordinary citizens who do not drive will have to pay a little bit more for their, or for their fares. Mm-hmm. And those who drive will pay a little bit more at the pump. So, so you, you're giving personal relief tax on one side, but you're taking another three quarters out of the same relief. So, so that part doesn't balance well, if you really think about it. The other part, of course, is this continuous bailout of failing SOEs. That still doesn't gel well, and I'm sure I'm not the only one who feels the same way. Uh, because, you know, um, until we are decisive as a nation, to really institute serious structural reforms that will return uh, our country back to a growing path. We will not see any what we're trying to, you know, say on paper. They will still remain dreams. And then that does not help anyone because the, the, the burden becomes even more and more heavier. And what you're going to see um, is perhaps possi- um, possible social unrest across the, you know, throughout the year, because at some stage, what cannot be afforded by ordinary people, they will go to the streets to buy from them. I, here, for example, uh, uh, I'm going to, um, I can tell you for sure that there will be serious uh, protests around basic service delivery. We've already heard that there will be increase, for example, in electricity tariffs. That does not gel well with, the, with people who already have no livelihoods, and the little they have, they're going to share now in taxes. The other part that I would have loved to hear to give a little bit of hope is that there is a serious decisiveness to deal with corruption. Mm. I, again, that was missing in that budget. And then we're talking big money with very few, you know, uh, mentioned controls on, what's, uh, on what will be done differently this time around to ensure that public resources do not end up in people's pockets. So... Um, and that is already connected to, you know, um, an idea around moral leadership in our public sector. That is seriously lacking. And so the idea also I would have loved to hear, for example, that the National Treasury will enforce lifestyle audits for every person who works in public sector. And, and extend even perhaps that on also to the private sector. And bring also the issue we saw last year, how for some of the big auditing firms were caught up in the in the state capture conversations. I was expecting to hear something around that. What are the mechanisms to ensure that that does not happen again? You know, so, um, so I would love to see, uh, to say it was balanced, but sometimes uh, part of me feels it wasn't, in the sense that um, uh, at the end of the day, uh, my, my big question is who's going to bore the brand of the burden? It's surely it's not big business. It's not the corporate it's not the big mining firms. It's you and I, Shapik. Dr. Paul Kariuki, Executive Director, DDP, the Democracy Development Program, University KZN. As always, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Shafiq, for having me on the show. Drive time on 91.3. Always on the cutting edge.